Welcome to the Inspired Women Podcast. I'm your host, Megan Hall, motivational speaker, full-time psychology student, mama four, and military spouse. On this podcast, I share helpful life tips and real stories from inspirational women. Warning, sometimes we chat about taboo topics and drop some F-bombs. Thank you for tuning in with me today. Enjoy the episode. Hey guys, today I'm here with Barbara. Barbara Hawkins is a mother of two children. She works for child welfare and has in, was influenced by her own experience as a foster child to enter the field. Barbara suffers from CPTSD and she discusses her challenge and triumphs managing the disease through her social media platform, The Vivacious Warrior. I love the word vivacious. Thank that just you. Makes me happy. All right, Barbara. Well, thank you so much for coming on the podcast today. My pleasure. Well, I'd love to have you share with us what CPTSD is, because um, some people listening to the podcast may not be familiar with that. CPTSD stands for Complex Post-Traumatic Stress Disorder. A lot of people only know of PTSD, which refers to a single traumatic episode, which... Uh, the body responds to the trauma, whether or not the mind blocks it out, where it's complex post-traumatic stress disorder. That can be one episode that was never resolved and you carry with you, or it could be a multiple amount of traumatic episodes, which were never resolved. Okay, so PTSD, we're looking at probably just one thing where complex PTSD, we're probably looking at multiple incidences that happened. Am I right? Yes. Okay. So when was the first time that you uh, started noticing symptoms of CPTSD? That's a good question. And I say that because I wasn't properly diagnosed until I was 40. And it was at that time where my counselor pointed out a lot of my behaviors and responses to emotions that I had were a result of the PTSD or complex PTSD. So what kind of symptoms are we talking about for anybody who's listening who's like, maybe I have CPTSD or maybe I need to look into it too? Because I know before somebody diagnosed me with bipolar type two. I had no idea that's what I had because you just don't know until, you know, either somebody diagnoses you or you hear somebody like you or I talking and you're like, oh shit, that's me. That's me right there. <laughs> Hypervigilance to situations, uh, irrational thoughts, uh, just uh, irrational fears. Uh, let's see. Feel, uh, feeling panic in an otherwise calm situation. I contribute the feeling to being on a roller coaster and bracing for that first drop. That's okay. basically what complex PTSD feels like. And that's just a response to everything. Yeah, even like things that are seemingly insignificant in your life. Absolutely. Yeah, it makes total sense. 
Uh, I have some familiarity with PTSD, uh, and I've I've heard a little bit about CPTSD, so I'm sure that this will be a little eye-opening for me too. So you said that you were diagnosed by your therapist. What made you go and see a therapist in the first place? For a lot of people, this is different. So I first saw a therapist when I was 26 years old. It was right after I was married. And I realized that I was just sad all the time and couldn't understand why. Um, so as um, I married a service member, so I went to the military doctor and explained how I felt. He told me to come back. When I came back for the next appointment, he had a book. And it was tabbed with different phrases or whatnot. He asked me questions out of the book. He shut the book. And at that time, he had diagnosed me with bipolar disorder, too. Oh, my goodness. So from 26 to 40, I was being treated as someone who had bipolar disorder, too. Not only by therapists, but psychiatrists who put me on a lot of different medications. Yeah. So you went after, I'm sorry. Oh, go ahead. I was just going to ask you about all these medications and how they worked for you. And short, they didn't. Yeah. (laughs) When I first, uh, when I was referred to the first psychiatrist, he started me on Zoloft, but a very small dose. And he said, I'm going to put you on half a pill over the weekend. And then when you come back, we'll see how you feel. Well, when I got back, to him over the weekend, I found out I was pregnant. What he told me was that because I wasn't able to take medication, he was no longer able to treat me. Ooh, that sounds like a vicious thing for somebody to say. So (laughs) I navigated through this pregnancy. I had a really good uh, obstetrician, my military doctor who guided me through that. She was great. She was understanding of what I was experiencing emotionally and just kept an eye on me. And I had my daughter. I was very elated. I felt quote unquote fine. And two years after she was born, I got pregnant with my son. So still not on medication, still not seeing a therapist. When I had my son, I noticed that After he was born, I wasn't as happy as I was Mm. after I had my daughter, but I just attributed it to, you know, the stress of maintaining a household with two children. Their father was starting to go on deployments, which was something I didn't have to deal with with, um, during uh, just having my daughter. Yeah. But I just never felt better. So I talked to my primary care physician there, and we were at another location. I told him that one of the wives I knew was on Alexa and she thought it worked. She thought it was great. Well, he agreed that Alexa is a good drug and he put me on that. So it was okay. Um, I felt a little better, but not a hundred percent. And then the next duty station, that doctor put me on Alexa and Wellbutrin, but I still wasn't seeing a therapist. I was just on this medication. Right. When we moved back to the United States, I found a therapist who was near my job. 
I told, and I walked in and I said, okay, so I've been diagnosed with bipolar disorder, you know, by a previous doctor and I was on this medication and she said, okay. So basically that's how I was treated that I, you know, had bipolar disorder and the psychiatrist who worked in that practice, he took me off the Celexa and put me on Seroquel with the Wellbutrin and then he left the practice. So I had to find another psychiatrist. That psychiatrist just continued to increase my Wellbutrin and he took me off the Seroquel. And then I saw someone else who put me on, I can't, Seroquel and Fanap. I was up to four different medications that by the time I stopped. Oh and that was goodness. cycle. I had gained 150 pounds. Oh, wow. Yeah, I was really sluggish. I would fall asleep, uh, you know, just where I stood. I couldn't stay awake. I remember my kids will even talk about we went to a matinee to see Iron Man 2, and I fell asleep in the middle of the movie. That was the standard for me. I remember being on a date and <laughs> falling asleep at someone's house in the middle of the day, we were watching a boxing match with the guy's friend because of all this medication that I was on. And it never got better. Like every therapist I saw and every doctor I saw would just give me different medication and would just continue to say, well, you're not quite here, there yet. And, you know, at that point, I, you know, my health was shot. I, uh, my marriage had ended. It was just a mess. So I went cold turkey and I stopped seeing the therapist that I had seen for the past six years. And I stopped seeing a doctor for that medication. But I realized there was one aspect of my life that I hadn't dealt with. And that was my childhood sexual trauma. Hmm. And I, throughout my therapeutic journey, I always mentioned that to the therapist and I was always so, well, we'll get to it later. What? But we, yeah, we never got to it. So they would That's always- a pretty say, big deal. Like, how could you just be like, we'll get to that later? Yeah. <laughs> so, um, I called, uh, the rain hotline and I figured at my age, then which was 40 that I would be turned away and told that there wasn't anything they could do for me but it was quite the opposite experience and they um the hotline worker was able to find me a rape counselor in my area and it was that counselor who diagnosed me with complex complex PTSD wow and so now you finally have the right diagnosis, what does treatment look like now for CPTSD? I did a lot of work with that rape counselor. She identified a lot of my behaviors and how I was conducting myself in relationships and pursuing men uh, how it, and how to talk myself down from being triggered. Hmm. Um, and you know, she taught me what self-care was and, you know, basically how to fall in love with myself. And uh, in addition, teaching me that, you know, 
what happened to me wasn't my fault and it isn't just who I am. There was a lot of core work done with her. I would see her, I saw her regularly for about nine months and then I would see her as needed. I always called them emotional tune-ups. I, <laughs> I like that. Um, she tried to do some support groups on her own because she was working on some licensure for different programs she was doing. And I always participated in those. When I started my current job, the second week in, I was in training and my supervisor used a scenario to discuss jargon that children use when they're reporting incidents. And the example that she used was something which actually happened to me. And I felt my body respond to it. I felt panicky. I felt hot. Uh, I felt ner anxious. Uh, you know, how a person feels when they're scared, basically. Right. But because I was in a room full of people, including my supervisor, I had to talk myself down. At that point, I reached out to my previous counselor. She explained to me that. I would need to enter uh, EMDR therapy, which is what I'm doing now. So tell people what EMDR therapy entails. It's pretty intense. Basically, the theory behind it is that your responses go back to a cognition. So in EMDR, you do a lot of thought processes, so you have to go you're trying to go back to figure out why you respond the way you do it, it. My therapist describes it as a spider web. So if you think of a spider web and the cognition would be in the middle of it. Mm -hmm. So throughout the web is, you know, all your behaviors and your thought processes and just your point of view and your responses to things, but it's all back to this one cognition. Now, I have a lot of spider webs because I've been through a lot of trauma. So there's a lot that we have to work through. And what that entails is just basically being walked through a memory and then she'll, she'll tie back what you see in that memory and it'll just take you, you know, farther and farther back until you can fully understand how your behavior connects to an incident from that memory. And it, it's intense. It can bring up a lot of memories that have been repressed. Hmm. It can be exhausting. There are times where my mind has disassociated where it basically has blocked, it has shut down in the middle of an exercise where I just black out, I'll feel a warmth and I'll feel comfortable and I'll see a light and I'll just want to be in that warm light and I won't even want my therapist to talk to me. I'll shut out. I get in a trance and what she has explained to me is that my mind is protecting myself from that memory. Yes. And I want people to know disassociating and disassociative identity disorder are two different things. Like, yes. Because yes, every time I, every time I've talked about disassociation, um, people are like, oh, you mean like dissociative identity disorder? I'm like, no, you don't have alters. 
you just, you, you kind of like take yourself out of the situation so that you're, and, and, and that's what I think most of my childhood was is like, cause I don't remember most of my childhood is I think I disassociated a lot. Um, and it's basically like you, your brain goes, no, F this, like we're, we're not doing this. And you just, like you said, you black out, you don't remember half of it. People disassociate sometimes when they're driving where you're like driving, you start driving and then you get home and you're like, how the hell did I get home? You know, yeah, that's, exactly. that's a, yeah, it's a very small example of disassociation, but that's what I, I want people to make that this, this con connection. I don't want them to think it's the same thing. You know? Right. Yes. So go ahead with your, <laughs> this is really so hard work and it's a spider web. That's where we got. Yeah. <laughs> so basically you're just trying to under, you know, understand where your behaviors come from. And so then, uh, uh, the, when you are triggered, when you think of the trauma again, it's not as intense and it help, helps you work through it. And so how long do you go over the same memory or is, is that not what you do? Like, do you go over the same memories over and over and over again until like, there's no, it's not triggering you or do you hop to from memory to memory to memory? We go over a cognition okay. and then we different memories, different things that have happened in my life and tie them into that cognition okay. to determine how I respond to it. So that center of the spider web. Right. You guys go over that over, over and over again by attaching new memories to old it. Memories. Old memories. That's what I meant. Old memories, but they're like different memories. That's what I meant. Yeah. Right. Okay. Of, of different traumas that I've experienced. And so what is, what is the point of EMDR therapy? Is it to get to the point where you're no longer triggered by those things or what is it supposed to help you do? Yes. Yes. It's so you're not triggered by those memories anymore that, you know, it's just another, just another day in your mind, as opposed to just being the be all end all when you hear hear a word or smell something or see a certain color or something like that. Wait, something that would just oh, break right then and there. AMDR helps you get to a place where it's just, you know, as insignificant as anything else. Which would really help with the PTSD symptoms that you're experiencing. Absolutely. Have you seen, um, have you already, how long have you been doing EMDR therapy? So I was, I went for six months and then I kind of stopped over the summer. I wasn't going as much. So, and then I, I picked it up again mid-summer. So I, I, I took a break in the spring, not so much just because of work and my schedules and things like that. So I wasn't, I, I think I missed a month or two, but now I'm going back more regularly. And have you seen results from it already? You know, it's funny you say that because 
I haven't seen results per se, but when I speak with my therapist, she has pointed out changes in my behavior, which she says are changes, you know, that, you know, I'm, I'm healing. Yeah, that makes, that makes sense. Sometimes it's hard to see in ourselves what other people see in us. I always say that I say to my husband, I'm like, I'm really good at helping other people, but I'm not as good as helping myself. <laughs> if that makes any sense to anybody listening, I think most people who, uh, who are like therapists or coaches, I mean, therapists have therapists and, and there's a reason for that is because they're great at helping other people, but they're not as great as, you know, helping themselves. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. So, I mean, you're a social worker. So, I mean, I'm sure that you come across some things that can be very emotionally and mentally draining. Yes, very much so. So, how long have you been a social worker? About four years. I moved, I, I was in a, a, a less traumatic department, but I've been in my current department for two years. Okay, so what kind of work do you guys do in the department that you're working in? Well, I'm in Child Protective Services. Oh, that's some serious work. Yes. So you see some wicked cases, and I'm now. Do you do you talk to your therapist about those kind of things? There are times where I have talked about how work is affecting me because mm -hmm. that. That has been a struggle. Not, yeah, it's been a struggle. Um, you know, with the trauma I experienced as a child and also being, you know, a foster child myself, I see a lot of what I've been through in these scenarios. Yeah. Um, it doesn't affect me as much as one would think, but there are times where it's a little too. Uh, I feel a little more normalized about it than I should. Yeah. It's a little too real. Yeah. Yeah. I feel like that sometimes too. I've done a couple papers for school on, on different things that I've been through just cause I want to know more about them. And uh, sometimes it's been really hard to get through those papers because I was like, this is my life. I've actually been through this. So I can imagine in your role that you're like, I, this, this is me like years ago, I've actually been through these exact things these kids are going through. Yeah. It, it's crazy. Just some of the things like one day I had to go to the jail to speak with an adult. I remember sitting there and I remembered having to go to the jail to see my mother when I was 13 and then thinking, wonder how many other people, you know, I work with have had that experience and that, you know, that was the first thing that came to mind when I was sitting in the visiting area at the jail. Well, you know what they say? They say people go into this kind of work because they have some sort of experience in their past, usually that uh, caused them to want to go into that work. I, when I started, I would always ask, you know, whoever I shadowed that day, why they got into the field. And it was always like, I ha um, I do work with a number of 911 dispatchers. So they got into it because they always wondered what happened to the people at, on the other side of the calls. Yeah. 
Um, I know one of my coworkers, she interned um, at uh, Child Protective Services in her city. And one case just touched her so much, she wanted to get into this field. Yeah, it's uh, my like I'm going to school for psychology, and part of the reason I want I, I'm I'm leaning more towards being a professor now because my own mental health challenges. I'm not I'm not sure that I would be up to being a therapist. I think it would it might might be too much for me. Um, but the reason I got I want to get into the field of psychology is because you know I have my own you know story of mental health disorders <laughs> and I um the way I look at it is they say if you can't those who can't do teach and so I'm like well if I can't be a therapist at least I could teach future therapists <laughs> you know we're at such a great time with mental health awareness there is so much to do with these degrees than there was 10 years ago 20 years ago so you're coming in at a great time Oh, absolutely. I'm, I'm super excited and nervous all at the same time. But yeah, it's, I mean, I can see why you would want to get into, into that kind of work to, to help other people. And I give you full props because I don't know if mentally I'd be able to handle it because I, you know, I have my own childhood trauma that I've been through. Yeah. When I was in foster care, when the, uh, that, well, when I had my, the I was, you know, a child of the 70s and the 80s. So when these incidents right. happened, you know, social services was a lot different back then. And the way that children were revered and, and talked to by professionals is a lot different than it is now. So I would never want a child I deal with to go through what I went through at that age, being yelled at a police officer at 12 years old and being accused of seducing a man who actually assaulted me. Things yeah. of that nature. Watching my mom being powerless because this man's yelling at her daughter and she doesn't know what to do. I can't imagine being in your mom's position and feeling like that. I know. Especially as a mom myself now. Yeah. You know, um, I look back uh, and my parents weren't the best parents and I, I've talked about it multiple times on the podcast, but I look back and I'm like, I can't, I can't imagine being in these positions, some of them and feeling the way they did. Uh, like when I was a teenager, I was raped. And my dad didn't believe I was raped and he ended up kicking me out of his house because he read my diary and found out that I was raped um, and didn't believe it, thought that I brought it on myself. And I look back at that and in, in, in the position he was in and I can't imagine making those kind of decisions and reacting in that way. Uh, so I'd, I'm not sure if you feel the same way about how your mom reacted in that situation. Well, as with anybody, there was a lot of anger and confusion as to why my mom is the way she is. And it wasn't until I, you know, started working through my degree program, especially my master's program, because that really dealt with the, you know, domestic violence and 
rape and what victims go through. Mm-hmm. What, so I was, ba- I, uh, once I finished that program, I had a better understanding of why my mom is the way she is. And that helped me heal. That helped me release a lot of the anger and pain and confusion I had for the way that she responds to things. Not that our relationship is the, you know, we have a good relationship, but it is still strained. However, it is what it is. But now that I, you know, understand what she went through, she was a DB victim as well. And, you know, just now knowing why DV victims respond the way they do and what their thought processes are. Now I understand her a lot better. Yeah, no, definitely. My mom was uh, definitely somebody who went through a domestic violence situation with my dad as well. More uh, psychological and verbal than physical, but I mean, it did get physical a couple times. I mean, my first memory is of it getting physical, so I definitely know it happened. Uh, so I can see why she is the way she is as well. And I'm hoping that the further into my degree I get, the more clarity I'll get about one, why, why I am the way I am, you know, the kind of reactions. And I'm working on that in therapy, but still a deeper understanding of why I am the way I am because of the things I've been through. And also a deeper understanding of why my parents are who they are, you know, cause it's, it's kind of hard. I can't have a relationship with either one of them. Uh, because they continue to just perpetrate the same, uh, the same cycle over and over and over again. And right. so I, I can't, I can't allow that to be part of my life, but I want to understand more of why, you know, why they are the way they are. But my, I'm coming at it from a psychology aspect where you are coming from it from a social working aspect, but still, you're still seeing the same. It's a very, they're very interrelated fields. Right. Yeah. So I'm hoping that I can get some um, clarity around that too. So when let's pivot a little bit because we're going to be running out of time soon. Uh, Where did the vivacious warrior come from? How did that get started? I created that three years ago. It was after I completed uh, my therapy with my rate counselor and I was made, I, had this better understanding of who I was because I was properly diagnosed. I started joining support groups on social media and meeting other people like me. And I, you know, I met a lot of people who were in situations. I still do meet people who are in situations I was before I was able to pick up the phone and find help. I understand that a lot of people don't know how to do that and don't know what it looks like on the other side once you able once you're able to start healing and get help. So I created this social media page for people to see what that looks like and it isn't always bright and sunny. I share my bad days and my good days. I uh, couple it with humor and a lot of expletives (laughs) because that's just how life works. Right. Um, I love the people I talk with on there. I love the responses. Uh, This year, 
I started a Facebook page so I could reach that community and eventually I'll, I'll, I'll expand it again in another year to another uh, medium of social media. So what is the, the goal of having the Vivacious Warrior? What are you hoping to get from, or what are you hoping to give? What are you, what are you hoping that, where are you hoping it will go? I want to reach out to people who feel, who can't get out of bed, who feel hopeless, who feel like there is nothing beyond this diagnosis because it's all they know. They don't have the support around them to show them that they can get out of it, that it's okay to feel the way that they're feeling, that they're normal, and that there is help out there. Have you met any people? I know I have online friends, like friends that I haven't met in person, but I have online because they've been following me and we've been communicating for so long. Have you found any of those online friends too? Yes, I have. There are just people out of nowhere who just offer the, you know, the sweetest praise and the, the uh, just such wonderful support. I love them. And so everybody who is listening definitely needs to go and follow the Vivacious Warrior, both on Instagram and Facebook, which will be linked up in the show notes. Because uh, that's definitely something we all need a little bit of is that rawness and the realness. I mean, that's the, the whole point in me doing this podcast is, you know, I, I hate the sugar-coated, fluffy bullshit people put out in the world. <laughs> they, you know, they, it's feast or famine and, and mental illness isn't like that at all. When I was younger and I was going through all of this, I felt so alone. Mm -hmm. it, it's great that there's the internet now because we can connect, we can connect with Barbara's and Megan's out there. Right. Yeah. And, and, and that's the whole, that's the whole story. Is there anything that we may not have touched on about your story that you wanted to share with the audience? I'm still a work in progress and, uh, you know, it took a lot to get to where I am and I still have a long way to go. Don't we all, don't we all, <laughs> I know I have a long way to go too. And I looked at my therapist and I'm like, am I going to be in therapy forever? And she was like that. My goal is that you won't be but I can't decide that for you. And I was like, oh, so this is my decision. She was like, well, there's going to get to a point where you're going to feel like either you want to get out of therapy or you don't want to get out of therapy because you've come that far. And I was like, oh, so there's, there's a light at the end of the tunnel. I may not be in therapy forever. She's like, you may not be on like what you were talking about earlier, Barbara, is like that maintenance, you know? Yes. The emotional too much. Yes, that's exactly what I'm talking about. Like where I might just have to go in for that emotional tune up here or there. Uh, Cause you know, when you've been through some shit in your life, there's definitely going to be times where something is going to trigger you or something comes up or you just feel kind of overwhelmed. And, and even if you haven't been through some major shit in your life, which I think everybody has been through something somewhere along the yeah. lines. Nobody, nobody is like trauma free where they're like, yeah, I never, nothing ever happened in my life. 
I, that's why I'm a firm believer everybody should see a therapist at some point in time in their life. Um, but yes, you know, we all need that, that person we can go, we can talk through the things and get the help that we need because it's so important. I don't know about you, but therapy's changed my life. Oh, me as well. I, you know, I was such a mess and I, I'm going to piggyback on that and say the right therapy because I was in therapy for six years and it was the wrong therapy. Yes. Yes. I agree. You know, I've talked to people and they think one therapist is a be all dent end all, like even my clients and you know, not every therapist is made for every person. You have to keep searching. It's an arduous search, but you're worth it. You're worth it. You're worth the fight. Oh my gosh. I couldn't agree more. I'm on therapist number three, not because the other two didn't work out, but number one, we were just talking about this in therapy. Number one focused a lot on my abusive relationship, but didn't really, it was kind of like, you know, the, the therapist that told you, Oh, we'll get to that later. That's kind of like what she was about all the other things that I went through. And then I stopped seeing her um, because I thought I was okay because we had gotten to the point in our therapy where I didn't really have much to talk about, but that's because we didn't dig any deeper. Um, And then I had an emotional breakdown and went and saw therapist number two. And the only reason I stopped seeing her was she was great. She's actually the reason I got the the right diagnosis because she's like, you need to go talk to somebody. She's like, there's something more going on here than what, what I can help you with. And so she sent me to a psychiatric nurse practitioner, which that's where I got my new diagnosis. And it's got to be the right diagnosis because the meds really helped me. <laughs> so, <laughs> um, and then I moved. So I'm on therapist number three, but you're right. Like the first therapist you see may not be the right one and finding that right one is so important. And I'm glad that you did and that you didn't give up. Cause I think so many people when they get the wrong therapist, just give up. Yes, they do. And that's so sad. Yeah. And you, and you may not have the fight in you, but you got to keep going. Mm. So true. So true. Well, as we wrap up the podcast today, Barbara, what is something that you'd like to leave the inspired women audience with or a collection of things just to kind of wrap this all up into a nice, pretty bow ish, (laughs) (laughs) pretty ish, pretty ish bow, because I mean, this is a heavy topic, so it can only be so pretty, right? Yeah. You are more than your traumas. You're more than your struggles. You're more than your battles. So keep fighting for yourself because you only deserve, you, you deserve all the best that there is to offer. I love that. That's the perfect way to end this conversation. So thank you so much, Barbara, for coming on the podcast today. My pleasure. I'm so honored to be here. Thank you. Thank you for being a part of the Inspired Women audience. If you enjoyed this episode, please leave us a rating review. And don't forget to share this out with somebody who could use some inspiration today. Tag us at Inspired Women Podcast, both on Facebook and Instagram. Have a great day.